Mark chapter number 1 this evening. We're going to start reading in verse number 40. The Bible says, And there came a leper to him, beseeching him, and kneeling down to him, and saying unto him, If thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. And Jesus moved with compassion, put forth his hand, and touched him, and saith unto him, I will be thou clean. And as soon as he had spoken, immediately the leprosy departed from him, and he was cleansed. And he straightly charged him, and forthwith sent him away, and saith unto him, See thou say nothing to any man, but go thy way, show thyself to the priest, and offer for thy uh, cleansing those things which Moses commanded for a testimony unto them. But he went out and began to publish it much. I want you to take special note at this next phrase, and to blaze abroad the matter. Insomuch that Jesus could no more openly enter into the city, but was without in a desert place, and they came to him from every quarter. Heavenly Father, I ask that you be with us now as we begin to study your word. May the Word of God be quick and powerful. Lord, may I be attentive to the Holy Spirit as He guides me in the pulpit this evening. Father, I pray that You'd use me and allow every person in this room to tune out distractions that may be happening outside these walls and focus in on eternal matters within these walls. I ask, Lord, in the name of Your dear Son, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Now, I want my passion for Christ to be contagious. I want it to be so evident that others are drawn to me, and not only drawn to me, but but encouraged by me. Now, I don't have to be a Jesus freak for that to happen, I don't believe. I don't think you have to be overly uh, uh, pseudo-spiritual, if you will. I think you can be a passionate lover of Jesus Christ, and people will obviously take note of that. This man was, and that was his case. In fact, the Bible essentially says that his passion and zeal for Jesus Christ spread like wildfire. Now, when I went to college, uh, where I went to college is a desert place. And I remember specifically one year I went back to college and, and the skies, if you will, were ablaze. As I went down into the valley where my school is, there was ash falling from the sky in every direction. It looked like snow. And I frankly didn't even know what it was, to be honest with you. And it just looked like a very overcast day until it got nighttime. And when it got nighttime, not only was the ash continually falling, what took place was on the skyline, the sky would glow orange and red. And what was happening is, Uh, wildfires are known throughout that uh, section of California. And many times this would occur as I was out there. uh, There would be some sort of wildfire take off and, and thousands and thousands of acres would be consumed. And you know what almost every single story started like? Well, there was this person. Or, well, there was this uh, thing that happened involving some human interference. In fact, I I wanted to maybe kind of improve that point to you a little bit. So I got on National Geographic. 
That's probably the first time my computer's ever visited that website. Uh, Cabela's and Bass Pro often, but not National Geographic so much. But National Geographic actually published an article about wildfires in this region of California. And I'll just read you just some of the uh, more uh, important parts. Investigators around San Diego continue searching for the causes of ten fires that burned thousands of acres of land in in the area this week. After determining that one of the blazes was set by sparks from construction equipment. Whether the other blazes were set intentionally or by accident, experts say it is highly likely that humans are to blame. Unlike remote parts of the world where natural events like lightning strikes are primary sources of wildfires, in Southern California, such fires, now notice this, are almost always started by people. 95% have a human cause according to CAL FIRE, the state's firefighting agency. Now, I believe that God does all things well. I don't believe that there is any imperfections with God. The Bible tells us He is perfect in every way. Every conceivable plan, every conceivable action of God is perfect. And I believe that God's plans are perfect. But did you know that there is a flaw in at least one of God's plans. And the flaw is this, that His goal or His strategy to reach our fellow man does not depend upon His power alone. It does not depend upon His ability to move men. You know what it depends upon, at least in some small part? You and me. And the only flaw in any of God's plan has always been man. Just looking back at the formation of the world, God's plan was perfect. Who screwed that up? Man. Just just look at any of them. Usually when God has a plan that uh, goes awry at some point, it's generally because men were at the center of it. And I believe as far as this passion for God and and trying to reach our fellow brother with this passion for God and with the gospel, I believe that if we're not uh, very aware of us and who we are, it may fail all because of us. So tonight I want to study this man's life and his passion for God. I want to study how he prayed to get Christ's attention. I want to understand how Christ then reacted, and I want to look at even how it impacted this man's life moving forward. So if you will, I want to show you in number 40, uh, or verse number 40, point number one, this man had a resolute belief. A resolute belief. Verse number 40, the Bible says this in chapter number one of the book of Mark. And there came a leper to him, beseeching him and kneeling down to him and saying unto him, If thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. I love the certainty in his voice. I love the fact that there was no qualms about it. He just said, Lord, I know that you can do it. You see, there's a universal truth in this passage that he shares, and it is this. There is nothing out of my God's hands. You see, you look throughout the Bible and there's very uh, 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 stressful situations and situations that oftentimes 
seem insurmountable, but God always comes through. I'm reminded of the story of when Abraham and Sarah had been promised a child from God, and and yet Abraham and Sarah, I guess just had assumed that God was not going to answer that prayer. Until one day, three men showed up at Abraham's tent. He looked up and he recognized that these were not normal men. Now, don't ask me how he knew that there was something special about them. But regardless, Abraham went and approached them and brought them into his home. And these three men, and they were angels we know now, began to share with Abraham the plan that God has laid out for him. And so they get into the story and they tell Abraham, they said, Abraham, God's going to deliver on His promise of giving you a son, even in your old age. And back behind a curtain in the back of the tent, maybe old Sarah was back there washing some dishes from what she had served these men. I, I don't know what she was doing. But somehow she overhears the conversation. And there she is, and she cannot contain it. She giggles. She laughs, and and I don't know why she laughed, but it would seem as if she laughed at the fact that she did not believe that this could happen. She laughed at the fact that these men were suggesting that she's thinking, shall I have a son in my old age? I mean, I'm no spring chicken, but Abraham's even older than me. And she laughs. Even when others may laugh at your situation... There is still nothing too hard for God. And in Sarah's case, she laughs and these men understand and they they recognize that she's laughing and they look at Abraham and they say, why is your wife laughing, Abraham? And they say these words, is there anything too hard for the Lord? And see, this man, this leper here, came to Jesus and I love his faith. He says, the question is not whether you can heal me. Because I know you can. But with his universal truth, he also has to have an understanding of trust. You see, a lot of times we read over certain things to get to the more powerful and impactful parts of verses. But here in verse number 40, he says, Thou canst make me clean, but you cannot overlook the first part. And that is this, If thou wilt. If thou wilt. A Christian, if they truly understand the power of God, they ought to understand that God has a choice in every matter. It is His prerogative whether or not He answers the way you think He ought to answer. And this man comes to Jesus and he says, I know that you can heal me. There's no question. I've I've seen you do it for others. I've seen you be good to others and kind to others. And and I've seen the power that you've given to other people in their lives to overcome obstacles. And, And Lord, I know you can do this. But he was wise to have an understanding of trust and say, if you're willing to. So many prayers, I believe, are unanswered because we come to Christ almost demanding Him to do certain things and not asking Him for His will on the matter. You see, you may be praying for another child, or you may be praying that you don't have another child, whatever the case, uh, which is probably my case right now. But you may be saying, hey, I I want a child, or I don't want a child, or I want a a higher paying job, or I want a newer car. And, And you pray these prayers, and God can do anything. There is nothing too hard for my God. But the question is, will it glorify and please Him if you do get your prayer answered? 
If you're going to understand the power of God, you're also going to have to understand that God has a choice to answer that prayer. And this man understood that. He was resolute in his belief. The Bible tells us in the book of Romans, chapter number 8, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God and them that are called according to His purpose. You see, the question is not whether God has your best interest at heart. The question is whether or not you will accept the, the choices that God makes to get you to His best interests for you. Oh, Jeremiah chapter number 29, verse 11 says, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give to you an expected end. See, God has your best interests at heart. And we have to be careful as we pray prayers and we want God to do things for our life, that we understand that if God does not answer our prayer the way we feel it ought to be answered, there may be a reason. And this man approached God so humbly, bowed down at Jesus' feet and says, Lord, I know you can do it if you will. He was resolute in his belief. Secondly, I want to show you that there was a regarded burden in this passage. Verse number 41, the Bible says, and don't read over something like this, and Jesus moved with compassion, put forth his hand and touched him, and saith unto him, I will be thou clean. Notice this, Jesus was moved. And I'm so thankful that our God can be moved with the feelings of our infirmities. I'm so thankful when I have a, a heartache or a struggle, He feels my pain. This is even more amazing to me when you understand the context of the passage. Look in verse number 32 of chapter number 1. The Bible says this, And at even, when the sun did set, listen, they brought unto him all that were diseased, and them that were possessed with devils. And all the city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many that were sick of diverse diseases, and cast out many devils, and suffered not the devils to speak because they knew him. You see, Jesus has already had a long day of healing and, and, and helping other people. And yet this man doesn't make that, that appointment. And I've noticed that when you oftentimes get familiar with something, it becomes less special. I remember when my dad was in the hospital not long ago with pancreatitis. One of the things that frustrated me the most was that nurses would come in and doctors would come into his room and it felt to me, and this may not, at all, may not have all, at all been the case, but it felt like to me they were treating my dad like another patient. A number. Just another sick person in a bed. And you know what my prayer was? Lord, help these people to understand this man is special to me. May they not treat him as a patient, but may they have some passion and some compassion as they come into this room. You ever been there where, where you walk in, or no, this would be a better analogy, you call AT&T? You feel special when you make that phone call? Uh, 
First of all, just getting through the automated machine is the most difficult thing in the world. It takes seven nuclear launch codes just to get to somebody who actually speaks our, well, not speaks our language, but speaks a form of our language. And then you get to them and you grow so frustrated because everything they're recommending for you to do, you're very well aware that that's an option. And all you're trying to do is get a very simple answer. And they're taking you all these different directions. And you're getting frustrated and mad. And by the end of it, you're wanting to shut off service because they keep trying to sell you more service. You you feel special on that phone call? I don't. What's amazing about our Lord is Patient after patient came to him. Leper after leper. Lame man after lame man. Blind man after blind man. Deaf man after deaf man. All these people with all these infirmities. By, and it would seem so easy for Jesus to stop being moved. For Jesus just to, okay, this is just another patient. But the Bible says this man approached Jesus after a long day of healing others. And the Bible says Jesus was moved with compassion toward him. You go to the Lord Jesus tonight in prayer at this altar. You go to the Lord tonight at your bed. You may say, oh, my problems are not very big. You may say, oh, my problems probably, I shouldn't even take these to the Lord. Oh, my problems in comparison to others are not a big deal. But every time you go to Jesus Christ, friend, with, uh, uh, by your bedside or at an altar, Jesus is moved with compassion towards you. Oh, He was moved. But not only was He moved, I want you to see this. He was measured in His actions. Look, verse number 41 tells us the exact way that Jesus went to administer this healing. And maybe I'm weird, but this is special to me. Jesus was moved with compassion, put forth His hand, and touched Him. Now, tonight, class, let me ask you, what disease or what infirmity does this man have? Leprosy. Now I've done a little research on leprosy and leprosy, especially in the Bible, was a terrible disease. But there's really two ways for leprosy to be transmitted, if you will. There was, the first way is through uh, uh, nasal fluids. So your saliva or, or your mucus, if, if somehow that got on another person, that, and I don't know how it would, but if it did, that would be one way that leprosy could be passed from one person to another. The other way, and this was by far the most common way, was through touch. Skin-to-skin contact. And we know from studying the Bible and other passages that Jesus' word had authority. You understand, if Brother John and I had leprosy, and I had the power of Jesus, I wouldn't have to touch Brother John. All I'd have to say is, John, be healed. He did it when the lame man was on the bed. He said, "Uh, rise up and walk. He, He didn't necessarily need to do all these elaborate things. There was no hocus pocus or voodoo. Jesus had power in the word that he spoke to heal this man. So why? Was Jesus so measured in his actions that he touched this man? Well, I I think it was so that this man could feel the touch of God on his life. 
You see, leprosy did many things to a person, but leprosy led a person to shame. Now, leprosy was something that would disfigure a person. In other words, uh, people's noses would eventually begin to uh, concave into their face as the leprosy took its actions. Leprosy is not a skin disease per se. It is actually a disease of the nervous system. But it uh, is uh, revealed, if you will, or one of the side effects is uh, sores, open sores on the outside of your skin. And so your, 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 your hands begin to claw over, if you will. They crumple up and almost as if they're drying out. In fact, the man with the withered hand, many believe he had leprosy because his hand was beginning to show signs of leprosy taking its course on this man. And it doesn't matter if you were the most attractive man or woman before leprosy, as soon as you began to get leprosy and it began to show the effects on your life, you were no longer appealing to anyone. It shows itself through uh, uh, skin uh, sores, if you will, and, and bumps, large, almost cancerous-looking growths on the outside of the skin. And it brought extreme shame to its victims. Leprosy is, without a doubt, as far as disease in the Bible goes, the best picture of sin in a, Christ, uh, in a sinner's life. Because what sin does is it disfigures. Amen. Sin uh, makes you ugly. Sin makes you shameful. Sin uh, takes somebody who may be created in the very image of God, beautiful and altogether lovely, and that was God's original design. But what happened in the Garden of Eden is sin marred God's beautiful creation. God looked at it and said, this is very good. This is, this is perfect, God was saying. And yet sin marred God's creation. And it's marred every sinner Throughout eternity, sin brought shame. Sin brought suffering. You see, what happens as leprosy took its course, as it was a disease of the nervous system, what would happen is the disease would eat away at the nerve endings. And I, I don't want to get too vulgar with this, but people lost entire sensations of feeling. And so things could be taking place on people's uh, uh, outer members, if you will, their, their extremities, and they have no idea. In other words, a candle could be burning on someone's hand, and they would not know. It was even more sad, though, because eventually, uh, leprosy did not kill the patient. Leprosy in and of itself did not bring death. Most of the time when someone died, it was as a direct result of infection from the outside getting into the sores that leprosy caused. You see, in a, in a sinner's life, sin promises death later on. You see, the Bible says there is a way that seems right unto man, but the end thereof is death. What death does is it slowly eats away and slowly causes pain and slowly causes suffering and slowly but eventually leads to death. And eventually, separation. You see, not only did leprosy lead to shame and lead to shunning, but it led to uh, 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 not only suffering, but it led to shunning. You see, what happened as a result of their infection, since it was such a contagious disease, and you know this from studying your Bible, but people were put apart in leper colonies. 
They were isolated away from everyone else, separated to their shame so that it would not spread to everyone else. Sin, even back to the Garden of Eden, separated you. Separated you from your God. It separated you from understanding what spiritual things were. It separated you from fellowshipping with your Creator. Sin brought shame. Sin brought shunning. And sin brought suffering. And this man had felt all of these pains and all of these problems. You ask me why it was so important that Jesus reached down and touch him? Because I have no doubt in my mind this is the first person that has touched this man. This is the first person that has cared for this man and taken the time out of his busy schedule to reach down and pay him any attention as if he was not just another sick man, but as if he was a a son as Jesus reaches down and touches this man. The man feels the power of God in his life and in his body. And one of my favorite sermons that my dad preaches is uh, the man in the book of Acts, the the leaping uh, uh, lame man, if you will. And my dad begins to illustrate to you how, as he preaches it, and I have to be honest, I've stolen this from him before, but he begins to talk about the tingling from the toes. And and the toes begin to have sensations they've never felt before. And, And it works its way up, and he feels blood flow in his legs, and it just keeps working its way up, and it works its way up until eventually he's able to run and I have no doubt that this man's experience was quite similar his skin was ill his skin was filthy his skin was vile and yet Jesus's hand touches him and I don't know if it was from where Jesus touched him or overall but I know that the power of God began to work in this man's life and he began to heal sick spots and it began to take care of problem areas in this man's life and the effects that sin and leprosy had had on this man We're moving away as the power of God worked through his life. This man's testimony would have sounded something like this. Shackled by a heavy burden Neath a load of guilt and shame Then the hand of Jesus touched me And now I am no longer the same. He touched me. Oh, He touched me. You see, there's power in the touch of an Almighty God. You say, why would it be so important that He touched Him? Because this man had never felt a touch like this. And Christian, I hope today that once your life has been touched by the precious hand of Jesus Christ, it doesn't stay the same, but something changes and something begins to move and work in your heart that you've never felt work or move before. I hope that the touch of God had as much effect on your life as it had on this man. Oh, he touched this man. Jesus was very measured in his actions. Thirdly, as we move through the passage, I want you to see in verse number 44, a requested burial. Now, in verse number 44, something takes place that I, I think I understand from a biblical perspective, but it almost seems counterproductive. Verse number 44 tells us that Jesus says to this man, See thou say nothing to any man, but go thy way, show thyself to the priest, and offer for thy cleansing those things which Moses commanded for a testimony unto them. 
Now, in this passage, there is a request for silence. And, and we understand that Jesus has asked us to reach a lost and dying world with the message of the gospel. We cannot, there is no argument to be had. If you want to argue with, the, to, with me about that, I'm sorry, you're wrong, and I don't have time to answer a fool according to his folly. Christ has given to you and to me the responsibility with, for reaching a lost and dying world with the gospel. But in this man's case, Jesus does not say, go tell everyone. He says, don't tell anyone. And I believe, now you can believe what you want, but I believe the reason that Jesus did that is because there was a very time-sensitive issue, if you will, in the way that Christ had to work His ministry. In other words, Christ had to die at an exact point in time. And this was all planned out. And as Jesus asked this man to to not speak about this marvelous miracle in his life, I believe one of the reasons was that Christ needed for the publicity, if you will, to be handled down at this moment in time. But you and I can agree that Christ's will for you and me is not that we silence the message of the gospel in our life. So I want to share with you something very unique in this passage that I believe we can learn. If we were to ask an almighty, all-knowing, powerful God, Lord, what is the one way to most effectively snuff out the gospel message in a Christian's life and in a Christian's witness? If, Lord, you were trying to silence the church, what way would you choose? I believe Jesus points to it right here in this passage. Look in verse 44. There's a recommendation of selfishness. Not only does Jesus say, don't say anything, but he gives him a reason to not say anything. Go thy way. Show thyself to the priest and offer thy cleansing those things which Moses commanded for a testimony. Three different times in that passage he says, think about you. Go thy way. Offer for thy cleansing. Show thyself to a priest. Now, I'm not taking the Bible out of context by saying Christ was asking this man to not be occupied with spreading the truth of this miracle in his life, but instead by focusing on the matters in his own life. Go your way. Show yourself to a priest. Begin to think about yourself. I believe the number one reason why the gospel message is snuffed out in Christians' life is this. Selfish priorities. We think about ourselves. We think about our time. We think about our our problems going on. We say, Brother Andrew, I've got more problems than the people that I'd be knocking on their door. Well, great, let's come talk about them as we go tell people about the gospel. And I can't tell you how many times I've, I've heard something like this. Oh, Brother Andrew, Saturday's my only day off. That's my family time. You know some of the best family time I've ever had is with my daughter sleeping in the back seat, me and my wife driving to a house to knock on the door to tell somebody about Jesus or to ask them if they're coming to church tomorrow. You can't get better family time than that. You're trapped inside of a car. 
And your family time probably consists of you sitting on the love seat, your wife in the kitchen, your daughter in her room, and the other daughter, who knows where, probably playing with a light socket. I'm afraid, and, and I'm not taking the Bible out of context by saying, one of the main reasons people choose to disobey the Great Commission in their life is they focus on the things that they've got going on. God's will and priority for them is that they be a witness. And they say, well, you know, I got baseball or, you know, I got to go do this. I got to mow the yard today. Selfish priorities. So I I don't want you to think too much about that, but I, I do believe that that is the truth, that people become selfish and they do not follow God's plan for reaching the world And then finally, I want to share with you really the whole point of the sermon. And this is a rolling blaze, if you will. A a study of the passion of this man and how it spilled over to others. Verse number 45, the Bible says this. But he went out, and as I can tell, this man never ceremonially or uh, publicly or certifiably registered himself as a clean citizen. Jesus says, go show yourself to the priest. But the Bible actually says that he went out and started telling others about Christ immediately. It was a sinner, if you will. It was a sinner that had just gotten saved, had not even had the time to get baptized, and they're already telling others about Jesus. This man does not go care too much about the formalities of everything. All he knows is Christ did something in his life, and he begins to share it with others. And verse 45 says, But he went out and began to publish it much, and to blaze abroad the matter. First of all, I want you to see tonight that it does not take a pack of people to get the message out. Amen. Oh, some may say, Brother Andrew, I... I I need a soul-winning partner to witness. Oh, that's not true. This guy didn't have one. Oh, Brother Andrew, I come up on Saturdays and I see the the small crowd and I'm just so discouraged. Did you know it's even smaller when you're not here? Every single time you don't show up, it's smaller than if you would be here. You say, Brother Andrew, I come, it's just so discouraging. I'm one of the only people there. I feel like it's almost pointless. It does not take a bunch of people. It's amazing as we were in California and we had all these wildfires break out. You know what was most often the cause? A spark or a cigarette. Neither of which have an open flame. Just small embers that spark out a giant wildfire. It does not take a pack of people for God to use. The Bible says when uh, uh, Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up, the Lord looks around and says, Whom shall I send? Who will I go for us? Who will go for us? He was not saying, I need this large group. This week, Dr. Arthur and I uh, were on our way back from the airport with my dad in the uh, driver's seat. And uh, uh, Dr. Arthur began to mention about Jerry Jones and we saw the Dallas Cowboys Stadium. And he said, man, could you imagine what a person like Jerry Jones could do for God? And I said, Dr. Arthur... If God had to use people like Jerry Jones, nobody would give God the credit. It doesn't take a lot of money. It doesn't take a lot of sense. It doesn't take a lot of passion. It just takes somebody with a dying uh, desire to see people saved and reached with a gospel message. It doesn't take a pack of people. Secondly, it doesn't take a position. 
It's amazing how many people think that it is the pastor's job to reach this community. This man was no preacher. This man was just a reacher. This man was not some pulpiteer. He was just a person. And I don't even think that he had time to go to a soul winner's class if I study my Bible, right? He probably didn't even know the five-point plan on how to get to heaven. All he knew is he had been touched and he was going to tell others about that. The Bible calls us witnesses. We will be witnesses for Jesus. A witness is not somebody who went through this course to tell how they can testify. A witness is somebody who only tells what they know, what they've felt, what they've tasted, what they've touched, what's been done to them, what they've heard. That's all a witness is. You are a witness for Jesus. It does not take a position. Thirdly, it does not take a pulpit. I want you to see this in verse number 45. This man's passion was so... uh, uh, It was so catchable. It it was so contagious that the Bible says Jesus could not even enter into the city. And I, I would assume because the streets would close in the crowd. Jesus would come into the city and the crowds would throng Him so much that they actually had to go to a desert place. And the Bible says, And they came to Him from every quarter. My passion for Johnson County is that every house, every home would have the opportunity to not only say, no, I don't want to come to church, but to have to either accept the gospel or reject the gospel. And that is their prerogative. But right now I'm afraid there's too many quarters that have not heard about Jesus. At least not the Jesus that I know. They've probably got a perception of Jesus. They've probably seen Him in some type of Catholic painting somewhere. Or, or they've seen Him uh, uh, maybe in the Passion of the Christ, neither of which depict Him as powerful and as loving and as merciful as this book does. And that my passion for this world and for this community specifically is that every man would have his choice whether to choose to accept Jesus Christ or reject Christ. But we cannot do that from behind this pulpit. In fact, if I were to take a poll tonight, you have heard time and time again the old, old story. In fact, it's it's resounding in your ears. You've heard it time and time again to the point where it no longer affects you like it once did there will be people that will never step inside this building. So what do we do? Are our hands tied so much that we just keep having promotional Sundays and maybe want to luck out or we'll think of a good enough giveaway to get them in the door? No. My daddy taught me if you can't catch fish where you're at, go find them. If if, if there's no deer where you're hunting, go to a different patch of woods. Friend, if there's nobody who will enter this building, you know what we have to do? we got to go out. Go into the highways and the hedges, the master of the feast said. Don't stay here and just don't stagnate here. 
I don't want this church to ever get the idea that we're just going to see tons of sinners walk the aisle because that day and age, I believe, is long gone, if you will. But I believe that there is still a chance that if we will confront people with the fact that they're a sinner and with the fact that they need Jesus, there will still be some men that will accept Him. This man left. He went to every quarter, I believe, and now the Bible says his passion was so contagious that it affected every person in every home. It does not take a pack of people. It does not take a position. It does not take a pulpit. But it does take this. A passion for God. A passion for Jesus. This man was a leper. He was ostracized. He was put away with. People had given up on him. I would even say to you that he had not had... Uh, 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 some type of setting with his family in a long time. People had just given up on him, but Jesus didn't give up on him. And now he can recall the all-powerful touch of that hand as Jesus knelt down and touched him there, and, and his life radically changed. Oh, he had things to do. He could have gone and gotten ceremoniously uh, uh, declared clean. And according to the law of Moses, he could have entered back into the community and become a normal citizen. But after his touch with Jesus, he could not be a normal citizen. He was a child of God. His passion was contagious. Friend, you won't always have to lay down the Romans road for somebody to ask questions about your God. You start living for God, questions will be asked. You don't have to thump them in the head with the New Testament. You start looking and living like Jesus. You stop saying the cuss words. You stop saying the dirty jokes. People will look at you and say, well, what happened to old Leroy? You say, hey, I got touched the other day. It's all that happened in this man's life. Fire is a very unique thing. Fire will overwhelm an area if allowed to do so. But the same fire that burns thousands of acres, if put into a small container, can be snuffed out if it's not given food or if it's uh, not given fuel. How many of you have ever seen a candle that's been put out by just A little glass being closed on it. The oxygen burns away and now there's no more fire. Oh, You see, that fire had potential to spread. But it was snuffed out because it was contained. You want to know why so many Christians' fires have burned out? Why their passion and zeal for God left them long ago? Because it stayed contained. Water stagnates if it does not spill over. Water stagnates if it does not flow. Fire fails if it is contained. Christian, is your passion for God spilling out onto those around you? Are you known at work as the person who loves God with all their heart? Are you the person they come to in their time of need, in their dilemma, if you will? Are you the one they come to and say, you know what? (sighs) My life has been really hard lately. What do you do to cope when your wife calls you such and such? You say, my wife's too kind and generous to call me such and such. She she submits to me. (laughs) 
Where's your fire? The Bible says that this man's passion blazed abroad. Christian, if we get a real zeal and passion for God, this building couldn't contain it. This area couldn't contain it. God will move in our hearts and God will move in the lives of those around us and our passion for God will blaze abroad in our area. I believe that's a biblical pattern for ministry. Whether you're a preacher, whether you're a leper. Don't just have passion in 